Um, we're wrapping up this series, Who is Jesus? Um, let me ask you this. How, how many of you guys were here last Sunday? A bunch of you guys were here last Sunday. I want to say something before we jump into the sermon. I am so grateful for our dream team. Last Sunday, our dream team, just I, my wife and I were out of town. Uh, we, we were on a family vacation. By the way, we were, we were in California. We were like you know, with her family. We're at the beach. It was 70 degrees, but you know what? I was representing U City Family Church. I was like, yeah, come on. I was inviting people to Easter Sunday. I was like, hey, you guys, seriously, I mean, plane tickets are like $400. You could do this. Um, um, but I want to say a big thanks to our dream team who did an amazing job last Sunday getting everything together. And, and, it was awesome, and I also want to say a special thanks to Claude, Glenn, and Jason Fry last Sunday. They preached, man. They brought it, um, and you can hear their, their sermon on our website, ucityfamilychurch.com. You can go on the website and hear all the sermons uh, as well as the other sermons in this series, Who is Jesus? Also, I just want to, you know, as we prepare for next week, you guys, next week is Easter Sunday. Just so you know, this is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We're launching a brand new series called Dynamite. Um, and, and it's all about, you know, the power within you that the Holy Spirit puts within you. This is going to be a, an amazing, amazing series. So I strongly encourage you to invite your friends and your family. Uh, this is the Sunday. Easter is the Sunday when you ask somebody, hey, would you like to come to church with me? They say, yeah. I will do that. Uh, so, so invite all your friends and family. Somebody inviting somebody to church can be a life-transforming event in that person's life. And we, we've seen that, uh, you know, many, many times over here at U-City Family Church. So next Sunday is going to be great. Um, the kids are going to have a huge Easter egg hunt too, by the way. So um, invite kids. The kids are getting all, having all the fun out there. It's just uh, well, we're having fun too. Thank you, honey. My wife is having fun today. Um, I am too. It's good to be back. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're wrapping up today's sermon. Who is Jesus? This whole series. Who is Jesus? We talked a couple a few weeks ago about Jesus being more than a man. We talked all about what that means. We talked about Jesus being a revolutionary who has come to replace hollow religion with intimate relationship. And then a couple weeks before that, we talked about Jesus, the leader, who is calling you and me to follow him from wherever we are. Wherever you are, Jesus is calling you to follow him. So today I want to I wrap up this series with a question for you. And the question is this. Are you free? Are you free? You can't answer that. Don't answer that out loud. But in your own heart, I want you to think about that question. Are you free? Say, what do, I, what, do, what do you mean? I mean, are there, are there habits? Is there anything in your life, like a, a habit that you have that ha, you've tried to shake and maybe you've carried it for years, maybe you've carried it for months, maybe you've carried it for decades, and you go, you know what? That's an area where I'm not free. I've tried to shake this. I've done all kinds of things. I've tried every imaginable technique and you know, strategy, and it's just I'm not I'm not free. I've got a, a habit. Maybe for you, it's an attitude that keeps sort of rising up at, at times in your life, maybe in your relationship with your spouse or with your kids, and you go, you know, I, I don't know why I do that. I don't know why I act like that, but every once in a while, something just rises up in me, and I, and I, and I act out in a way, and I ex, you know, express this attitude that I'm not proud of. I don't like it. I don't want it, but I can't break free of it. It's, some, it's got a hold on me. 
Maybe for some of you, there's guilt or shame that's been following you around for, you know, as long as you can remember. And maybe, maybe, you know, it's attached to things that you did years ago. Or maybe it's attached to things you did weeks ago. Or maybe it's attached to things you did this week. And you go, I, one thing I'm not free of, I'm not free of the guilt that seems to rise up in my heart. I, I, can, I can shove it away a lot of times, but other times it just grabs a hold of me and I, don't, I can't break free of it. And maybe it's not something that you did, but maybe it's something that happened to you. Maybe it's a wound in your heart that is a result of somebody that did something to you that no matter what you try to do, for some reason it follows you and you're not free. You're not really free and you think, gosh, I wish I could be free from that. But somehow this haunts me and it's not something that even I did. It's something that somebody else did to me and I don't know how to get rid of it. And I think if we're honest today, there's not a single person in this room that can't say, yeah, one of those things applies to me. Right? There's something in my heart. There's a piece of me that's not free. There's a piece of me that's still bound. There's a piece of me that's trapped, that's in bondage, and I don't, know how to, I don't know how to get free from it. And maybe you have tried, like so many have tried, different strategies and techniques to free yourself. Some people say, if, you know, relocation, if I move, if I go to a different place, everything will change, right? If I, if I, can, just, if I can get from St. Louis to California, then, you know, everything will change. Then you get there and you go, oh, wow, I'm, I'm still here. It's still me. All the stuff that I thought I was getting rid of, it's still there, right? Some of us try to break free through busyness. We just, we just drill down and work and we focus on one thing and we just work ourselves to the bone to try to avoid or deny or cover or mask a pain that we drag around with us. And we just, we won't, we can't, we, you know, we can't get rid of it. So we just try to avoid it by focusing on, on our work. Some of us will try a new relationship. You say, what the problem is, is that my relationship is what's got me all tied up. And if I could just get into a new relationship, then I'd be free. If I could just get out of this relationship, I would be free. And I can tell you, as a pastor, I've counseled and spoken with many people who adopted that theory. And what they find, I really wish that I could, that I could play a movie of their life in two years. And say, let let me just show you a picture of what's going to happen in two years. What you're going to be like. Because what you're going to be like is you're going to be the same trapped person. But now you're not going to have the relationship that you had. Maybe you're going to lose your wife or your husband or your kids or whatever. Because you thought that you could be free by switching. But it's not going to work. Some of you maybe uh, try to be free through sort of self-medication. Either through drinking too much or, or, you know pills or whatever it is that you say, I can just, if I could just dull the pain, if I could just dull it, then, then I would be free from it. And then others of you, and and this is, this is probably a lot of us are guilty of this. We try to be free through our religiousness, right? If I could just be more righteous, if I could pray more, if I could just line up more, if I could read the Bible more, if I could, you know, serve better, if I could just be more spiritual, if I could be more religious, then I would be free. Does any of this resonate in your hearts? I mean, right? We've tried this. We've tried this. I want to propose something to you today. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're an agnostic, whether you're a skeptic, whether you're on the fence and you're going, I don't know. 
I want to propose something to you, and that is this. As we, look at, as we look at the life of Jesus and we try to understand who he is, the most important, the most culminating, the, most, the apex, the zenith of his ministry came down to one thing, and that was your freedom. Your freedom. Today I propose to you that Jesus is a liberator who came to set you free. Jesus' main goal, his main task, his main purpose, especially on this Palm Sunday that we are celebrating, is that Jesus came to set you free. And not just partly free, completely free, totally free, 100% free, free in ways that you can't even imagine right now. And you may have tried through will and strength and power to free yourself, and Jesus is saying, I've come to set you free. I've come, I have done the work for you, and I have come to set you free. One of the most intriguing things about Jesus is that he's got, and I think this is one of the reasons that people for centuries have tried to figure him out. He's got this sort of paradoxical nature. You know, a paradox is where there are two things about, you know, maybe two, two statements that seem self-contradictory, but then when you examine them, they actually make sense, right? So like, kind of a pair, like jumbo shrimp is a good example of a paradox. Anybody, anybody, cause you're like, wait a minute, is it jumbo or is it shrimp? Well, it's a jumbo shrimp. Okay. So it makes sense when you, right. Or bittersweet is a paradox, right? It's a paradox. Is it bitter? Is it sweet? But then you know, oh yeah, that was bittersweet, right? You know what I mean? Mary, Mary gets it. You know what I'm, you totally tracking with me. All right. Um, youth is wasted on the young. Have you ever heard that? It's a paradox, right? Oscar Wilde said, I can resist anything but temptation, right? It's a paradox, right? I found some really great signs, some paradoxes for you. And church signs are the best for this, right? Right? I've got a couple for you I think you're going to like. This one says, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. I don't think that's what they, they totally meant by that. <laughs> Have you ever been to a church that was just kind of helping you down that path? Um, this is a good one. Choose the bread of life or you are toast. That guy was just mad. He was like, I'm just going to put it out there. Um, I like this one. It says, I was addicted to the hokey pokey, but then I turned myself around. That's my favorite. (laughs) It's a paradox. Jesus lived this life of of paradox. Like, for, for instance, he was a perfect man. Right? We, we know that the scripture describes him as being sinless. He was a perfect man, and yet he always spent time with sinners. He was always hanging around with the dregs of society, the bottom rung of society. That's where he was hanging out, although he was perfect. He would preach peace, but then on the other hand, he would say, I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring division between a father and his son, a mother and his daughter. And you go, wait, well, what does that mean? There's a paradox there. How do those two ideas line up? He said, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it these paradoxical statements and you go what what do you mean you know but one of the greatest paradoxes about Jesus and one that really drives home the point that we want to make today about Jesus being a liberator was the descriptions two descriptions that that were used for him one at the beginning of his ministry one at the end of his ministry okay the one at the beginning of his ministry was a lamb. He, Jesus was described at the beginning of his ministry as a lamb. 
So there's a passage in John where Jesus was getting ready to get baptized. He had, was getting ready to launch his public ministry, and he went to his cousin John. And anybody ever heard of John the Baptist? John the Baptist is one of these guys in the Bible that's fascinating, right? The Bible says he ate locusts. He wore camel hair clothes. To me, I get like an image of Chewbacca, like mixed with Moses. Somehow, you know, and he's out there and he's eating locusts and preaching. And so... Uh, Jesus came to him to get baptized. And the Bible says that when John saw Jesus from far off, this is what he said. He said, uh, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you think, well, what does that mean? Right. And then at the end of his ministry, in fact, this, the, what we're celebrating today is Palm Sunday. At the end of his ministry, he was described as a king, right? A lamb on one hand, and at the end of his ministry, he was described as a king. In fact, in the same book in John, it says this. It says that, that the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Remember that word festival, because this is, this is going to tie all together. We're going we're gonna to do some work today, so you guys are going to have to just track with me, okay? Um, on his way to Jerusalem for this festival, they took palm branches, and they went out to meet him, and they were shouting, Hosanna, which means Savior. They were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, blessed is the king of Israel. The king of Israel paradox, right? John says he's a lamb. John, you know, the people say he's a king. At the beginning, he's a lamb. At the end, he's a king. What is he? There's a paradox here. And, and what I want to show you in this picture is that in this one image of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the festival of Passover, Jesus is demonstrating that he is a liberator of the souls of men all over the world by being both a lamb and a king. A lamb and a king. Um, what you have to understand is that this festival, the Passover, uh, get an image in your mind of like Super Bowl Sunday and then add on to it the 4th of July and then attach onto that Christmas and then rope in Mardi Gras. And that's what you get when you get Passover in ancient Israel, in Jerusalem. Th- tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would come from all over the world to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And you say, okay, great. What were they celebrating? Here's what they were celebrating. They were celebrating their freedom from slavery. They were celebrating their freedom from bondage. They were coming and saying, we thank God that we are free from bondage from the Egyptians, all right? But here's, here's where it's really, really, really important. How did they get that freedom? What is it that they're really celebrating? 1,400 years before Jesus rode in on a donkey as the king, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, and the, Moses had gone down. You may know the story. Moses had gone down and he said, you know, let my people go. And Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. And these plagues were visited upon the Egyptians and on and on. And at the very end, God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the final plague because I, you, you've got to let my people go. And the angel of death is going to come into Egypt and is going to kill the firstborn of every family in Egypt. But there's a caveat. If you 
want to be delivered, if you want to be saved, if you want to be free, you need to slaughter a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house. And if you do that, the angel of death will pass over your house. And that's why it's called Passover, because the angel of death passed over. Right? But it was the death of a lamb. It was the sprinkling of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that allowed the angel of death to pass over, that freed the people of Israel. And so when they're celebrating Passover, they're celebrating a lamb that was sacrificed for them for their freedom. So when Jesus rode in on a donkey, the people wanted a king, but what they needed was a lamb. Because the, 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 irony, the irony of celebrating their freedom in first century Jerusalem is that they were celebrating the freedom from the Egyptians, but they were under Roman oppression. So they're, they're, they're still celebrating. They're, Thank God we're free, but they weren't free. They were bound by the oppression of the Roman government, right? That would be like, It'd be like the, you know, the Cubs fans, I, I, I got I to just go at them one more time. Cubs fans celebrating the 1908 World Series that they won, like in 2015. Like going, yeah, but we won in 1908. And you're going, yeah, but you're not doing so great now, right? That, that's, that's what's going on with the, the, the in ancient Israel. Sorry, Cubs fans, love you guys. But... But that's what's going on. They're saying, thank God. And, and they, they want a king to free them. They want Jesus to throw off the yoke of Roman oppression. But what they really need, and in fact, what they're celebrating without even recognizing it, is they're celebrating the death of a lamb who was really responsible for their freedom. And so on that night of Passover, Jesus got with his disciples. And in the book of Matthew, it describes what he said to them. He said, while they were eating... Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What he's saying in here, you guys, and we t- we say, I say this every Sunday, but I want to drill down on it today. What he's saying to them, and they don't know it, they don't get it, they don't understand it. They're, he's saying, look, I rode in here as a king this week. But if I'm really going to free you, if I'm really going to deliver you, I've got to become a lamb. I can't just be a king. I've got to be a king who becomes a lamb to free you and deliver you from the bondage and slavery of your own hearts, of your own selfishness, of your own sin, of your own inwardness, of your own bigotry, of your own prejudice, of your own religiousness, of all. I've got to become a lamb in order to free you and deliver you and save you from your sin. And we know the story about what happened that night. He was betrayed. He was betrayed and he was taken before uh, the Sanhedrin, and there was a mock trial, and ultimately they took him, the scripture says, like a lamb to the slaughter. They took him, and, and, he, and, he, and he went with them, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and they put a, 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 a scepter in his hand, and they put a purple robe over him, and they spit on him, and they mocked him, and they bowed in sort of you know, mocking obeisance to him, and they put a sign on the cross above his head that was just dripping with sarcasm, and it said, the the king of the Jews, right? The king of the Jews. And there he hung, and there he became, the scripture says, our Passover lamb. 
He became the lamb that sets us free. Here's what can happen as Christians. For those of you that are, that are not Christians here today, you're, you're, getting the, you're getting the real deep version of, of what it means to, to, to be a follower of Jesus. For those of you that are Christians, we can get really familiar with this image of Jesus on the cross. And yeah, Jesus saves us and Jesus, you know, died for our sins and, you know, becomes almost a cliche, becomes very trite for us, right? But I want to explain, I want to drill down just a little bit and show you four things that happen as a result of Jesus dying on the cross. Four ways that he frees you. Four ways that he wants to liberate you. Because in, 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 for thousands of years, for 3,500 years, Israelites read a passage of Scripture. And the Jews read it today during Passover. And, it, and they call it the four I wills. It's the four promises of deliverance for those that are under the blood of the Lamb. And he, I'm, let me read you this passage. This is from Exodus chapter 6. It says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched hand, and I will take you as my own people. These are four, four promises that God gives to those who are under the blood, who are being saved by the blood of the Lamb. There are four promises of freedom, four promises of deliverance. I want to go through them with you uh, just for a few moments now, because I think if you really get to understanding and you really grasp the depth of this, this will bring a, a breath of life to your Christian life that's unlike anything you've experienced before. Because being a Christian doesn't just mean I've got a punch card to heaven. That's not, that's not what Jesus was trying to do. He's trying to totally, completely liberate you from everything that binds you. Listen to the, 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 first, uh, the first promise is this. The first promise is called uh, the promise of salvation. Now, this is like, this is the, this is the introductory promise. What this means is that uh, in, in the Old Testament, it meant that he was going to get them out of Egypt, to get the Israelites out of Egypt. For us, it means that he's going to reach into our hearts and turn us around. He's, we're, we're going one direction, and he's going to reach into our hearts, not by our strength, not by our, you know, will. But he's going to reach into our hearts, and he's going to turn us around and face the other direction. I can tell you personally, I can remember precisely when this happened in my life. It was in March of 2005. Uh, it was actually coming up to Easter. It was during this time. Um, and it was in March of 2005. I was s- sitting uh, on the floor, and I don't know why I was in the ba- I was in the bathroom of my apartment sitting on the floor. Re- I don't know if that's a detail you didn't necessarily need to know, but that's where I was. I'm just trying, I want to be honest here. Uh, reading a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Many of you have read that. And as, and as I was reading that book, and I don't remember the exact line or the, the, the phrase, but at one point, as I was reading that book, I stopped reading the book. I put it down. I closed my eyes. And somewhere between the moment that I put the book down and I picked it back up, there had been a change in my life. God turned me around in that moment. I believed. I believed. I became a believer in that moment. Now, now that, might be, that might be different for some of you. Some of you may have a more you know, incremental approach, or some of you may just be on the path right now. But for me, there was a, there was a precise moment where I just suddenly believed. I, 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 and it was really what that was. It was a turning around. Now, was I living right? No. Was I believing right? No. Was I thinking right? No. Was I doing right? No. Was I, you know, what, had I gotten all my, my, you know, my T's crossed and my I's dotted? No. 
But there was this moment of salvation for me where my life turned around. In fact, that moment for me is the hinge upon which my whole life has turned. From that moment, everything that flowed out of that moment is the life that I have now. Uh, and, and that moment changed everything for me. And I think a lot of Christians can kind of get sort of stuck in that moment for their own life. They say, well, you know, I believed on Jesus, and then that was it, right? You know, in the Bible Belt, that's, a, that's kind of a, the big thing. It's like, are you saved? You know, it's like, okay, well, that, that's, not, that's not the end of the story, right? Because the second promise is this. The second promise is the promise of deliverance. He said, I will free you from being slaves. You say, wait a minute, that sounds a lot like the first promise. I thought, you just, I thought you just saved them from being slaves. No. What he did was he took the Egyptian, he took the Israelites out of slavery, but he hadn't gotten the slavery out of the Egyptians yet. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? There are a lot of times that for Christians, we have that first moment where God pulls us out, he saves us. But all of the things in our heart and in our mind and in our life is sort of stuck in, the, in those old traps, those old, that bondage, that, that, those things that tie us down, that traps us. And we're not living a life of fullness. We're not delivered. We're, not, we're, not, we're saved, but we're not delivered, right? And Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm not talking about just that. I want to I deliver you. I want to pull this out of you. Not only do I want to pull you out of it, I want to pull it out of you. Now, several years ago, I w- when I was practicing law, I was asked to do a pro bono case for a woman who um, needed an order of protection. She had uh, been in a relationship that was very, very physically abusive. And um, so I said, yeah, I'll take the case. So I went and interviewed this woman who had been abused. And I, I sat down with her and I said, so, t- you know, tell me, let's just tell me what happened. Tell me what's going on. And she said, well, um, you know, uh, a f- you know, a few, uh, a few days ago, um, I guess it maybe been weeks at that point. She said, my husband got out of prison and we were together. And then he, you know, we got in a big fight and he just, just tore into me, just, just beat me up. And I said, okay, so, um, what was he in prison for? And she said, well, she said on our, this is a true story. She said on our wedding night, um, after our wedding, at the reception, he had too much to drink, and he started fighting with some guys. And by the end of the night, he had eight charges of assault and battery against him, two of which were against police officers. And I said, okay, so that was on your wedding night. She said, yeah. So on their wedding night, he had gotten arrested and put in jail. And when he got out, then he immediately went after her. I said, had he done anything to you like this before you guys got married? She said, oh, yeah, we've, we've, we've got a history of him doing this. And I said, okay, here's the thing I, that I can do for you today. Today, I can get you out of this situation. I can go before the judge, and I can say, judge, here are the reasons we need an order of protection. And I'll, and I'll you know, I'll do a, a, a direct examination of you and a cross-examination of him. Um, but at the end of today, I'm going to have you out of that situation. But there's another step that needs to happen is that that situation needs to come out of you because you're finding yourself walking back into a cycle of being hurt and being beaten and being abused and being wounded, right? But, but that's another step. That's not something we can accomplish today. And that's something that I think Christians all over have to, have to understand. If you really want to understand what Jesus is trying to do, he's not just trying to get you out of the problem. He's trying to get the problem out of you. You feel me? You understand? 
So um, there's a, a passage where in Romans it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free has set you free from the law of sin and death. That means if you're a Christian today and you're still walking around in guilt and shame and condemnation, Jesus says, no, that, I want to deliver you from that. I want to free you from that. I want to take you out of that. That's the second promise. Third promise is this. I will redeem you, Exodus 6 says. I will redeem you. What does that mean? It means restoration. Re- restoration or redemption means I want to put you back into the, the, the way that I originally designed you to be. I want to take off all the stuff and the junk and all the mess, and I want to put you in a position where you are doing what you were designed to do and you were designed to be. Your fully functioning purpose on earth. I want to redeem you. I want to restore you into that. And this is something that I think Christians woefully, tragically miss out on. They do, they, so many Christians never get to the point where they go, actually, I know why I'm here. I understand the purpose of my life. I'm walking in the purpose of my life. Whether that's something we try to do here as a church, we we try to help you discover that in our growth track. What is the purpose for my life? And so many Christians never get that. They get stuck on just trying to get out of the stuff that they were messing with years before. There was a... um, uh, I, we used to, the churches that I grew up in, they used to have like testimony services. Have you, anybody ever been to a testimony service? Anybody? Yeah, so, some folks have. And at these testimony services, what they would do, they would hand the mic, they would just hand the mic to anybody. And you could just get up and just testify. And you could just say what the Lord has done for you. Well, that can be, that can be a little dangerous. You know, you just give the mic to just anybody. Um, <laughs> um, so, the, my wife's church, they had, years years ago, they had one of these testimony services, right? And people were testifying, the Lord did this for me, and the Lord did this for me. And they gave the mic to this one guy, and this guy was a sweet guy, not the brightest, not the brightest bulb in the socket, okay? Um, he stood up, and he said, you know what, I just want to thank God. Uh, and they said, well, what, what do you want to thank God for? He said, I just want to thank God that my girlfriend's baby is not mine. <laughs> and everybody was like, prick. Okay, we're going to pray for you, brother. Um, (laughs) You just want to go, hey, man, there's actually more for you, okay, than just that. Um, (laughs) That's why we just hold on to the mic up here. We just hold on to it. Um, (laughs) Thank God, my girlfriend. (laughs) Uh, So... You know, Jesus says, look, I, I, I want to restore you. I, I, I want to just not only just get you out and deliver you, but I want to turn you into the, the person that I designed you to be originally. Because God has a purpose for you. The two most important days of your life, the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. Right? Your purpose on earth to follow Jesus, to bring glory and honor to him, that everything you do sheds light on him and glorifies him and honors him. When you discover that and you start walking in that, it'll change your life. It will absolutely, totally change your life. If you want to see a picture of restoration, of, 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 you know, an image of restoration on your way out today, go out to the lobby and there are pictures on the wall of what this theater looked like before it was restored. And it was nasty. 
It was nasty. I mean, there, things were all covered up with plywood. There was, things were bricked in. Things were blocked off until somebody said, you know what? I want to go into that theater, and I want to restore that theater to what it was originally designed to look like. I want to restore it to what it was originally designed to be, and that's why we're in this beautiful theater today because somebody said, you know what? I'm going to take all the junk out and clear it out. I'm going to put this thing back on its purpose. God wants to do that for your life. And the fourth promise Wait, let me give you a scripture on that. John 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have life to the full. Jesus is saying, look, I, I don't want to just get you to where you're glad that your girlfriend's baby wasn't yours. I want to take you a little further down the path to, to, to get you on track in terms of the purpose of your life and where you're going. And then this is the last promise. This is the last you know, promise of freedom um, that Jesus makes by his sacrifice. He says, I will take you as my own people. This is the fourth promise. And this is the promise of fulfillment. This is the promise where the fir- for the first time we see in the other three promises, God was talking to an individual. And this one, he says, I want to take you now and I want to make you part of a family. I want to make you a people. I want to put you on a team. I want to bring you together with others. I want you to be exercising your purpose alongside other people who are exercising their purpose. And now now you're part of the most powerful, beautiful, exciting thing that you could ever be. You can't be free out there all by yourself. The ultimate step of freedom is when you are part of God's family and you're tracking and you're living out what it means to be a a child of God and you're, you're delivered and you're saved and you're redeemed and now you're being fulfilled because you're doing what God called you to do around the people that God called you to do it with and they're doing what God called them to do. What if we become that church where all of us are stepping forward and just finding our calling and living it out, living a life of purpose and making a change in people's lives and in our community, in our work and in our schools and in the universities around here. And we're just walking this out. We're just living it. And we're inviting people to come and be a part of that. That is exciting, man. That's the real deal right there. That's freedom. That is real freedom. And Jesus said, I went to the cross so that you can have that. I went to the cross so that you can have that. A few years ago, my wife and I were in New York City for a a wedding, and we were on the Staten Island Ferry, and we drove by, you know, the, the biggest American icon of freedom that you could ever see, the Statue of Liberty, Lady Liberty. And, you know, everything about that statue is is trying to express freedom. And there are, you know, like chains broken at her feet. And there's a, she's wearing this halo with these points and it's got, you know, the seven points and it's the seven continents and the seven seas. And, and, and at, the, at the base of that Statue of Liberty is this poem uh, by Emma Lazarus. And the, the, the last sort of stanza of the poem says this. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, it says. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. What it's trying to say and what Jesus is saying to you in your life is come to me wherever you're at, from wherever you are, whatever you know, strewn, tempest-torn life you've lived, come to me. Let me save you. Let me deliver you. Let me redeem you and let me make you one of my own, put you in a family so that you can live out the life that I've called for you to live. Let me make you free. Jesus is a liberator who has come to set you free. 
Is he a king? Yes, he's a king. He wants to rule in your life. He wants to be the Lord and ruler of your life, but he's not going to come in with force. He's not going to come over you with might. He's not going to force himself upon you. He's going to offer himself as a lamb, as a lamb so that you might be saved. Just like the children of Egypt all these years ago, quoting this passage with these four promises of freedom, those are the promises for you. And those are the promises for me. Those are the promises for every single person who just opens their heart and turns to Jesus and lets the, the blood of, of his sacrifice sprinkle on the doorposts of your heart, as it, as it were, and accept the freedom that he has for you. Let him set you free today. Let him set you free. Let's close our eyes. Some of you today are probably in the sort of state of mind of going, I, you know, that I kind of know this story. I kind of heard some of this before. Um, I'm not sure that I'm ready to take that step. Let me just, let me just encourage you. You don't have to shape up. You don't have to look right. You don't have to talk right. You don't have to believe all the right things. Jesus is just saying, I want to reach into your heart and I want to bring you a little bit closer to me. Let me just encourage you, open up your heart to him today. Let his mercy and his love and his kindness pour over you today. Some of you are saying, you know what, I've been a Christian all my life and yet I feel like I'm still back at promise number one. I'm still trying, I'm still struggling with all kinds of crazy stuff that I haven't been able to shake for years. Guilt or shame or um, you know, wounds or sins or habits or attitudes that I just can't get rid of. Let me just challenge you today and encourage you today. Take a step forward and, and pray that God would just deliver you. Let his spirit, let his love surround you. Reach out to him in prayer and just say, God, let me, take, take me as your own. I accept your sacrifice. I accept your love. Let him, let him deliver you. Stop trying to do it on your own. And some of you today are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not struggling with a bunch of stuff, but I just don't have direction. I'm kind of stuck. I don't have a lot of purpose. I don't know where I'm going with my life. Let me encourage you today. He wants to put you on that path. He wants to take you on that path. Open your heart to him and say, God, what can I do? Not that's going to satiate my desire, but what can I do to honor and bring glory to you? What can I, how can I shift my mindset where I'm not just looking at myself, but I'm looking towards you? Because he's come to save you from yourself. And for the, you know, others of you, maybe you're, you're walking down that path, but you haven't found a community of believers to walk down that path with. I would invite you today to become part of our church. Or if you're not going to become part of our church, find another church and, and get involved and get engaged with the people, with God's people, with the body of believers who are living out what it means every day to follow Jesus. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, we just ask right now that your spirit comes into the hearts of those today who have heard your word and that we would understand you, Jesus, as a liberator who is both a lamb and a king who has come into our lives to set us free, to save us, to deliver us, to redeem us, and to fulfill the purpose that you've called us to fulfill in a body, in a group, in a family of believers who are making a change in the world. God, we ask that each individual experience that, and we pray, Lord, that our church experience that as a whole. Let us become what you've called us to be. Let us transcend ourselves and follow you. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.